You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome back to the NIL Hotline. Galen Clavio, Olivia Clavio, joining you once again here on the show. It is the 14th of June. Olivia, happy Flag Day. <laughs> oh, hold on. I still had her muted. Now I feel terrible. Let's try that again. Happy Flag Day. Happy Flag Day, everyone. Yeah, there we go. Um, we're back. Talk NIL. This is the NIL Hotline brought to you by the Back Home Network. And, uh, man. Uh, the the news never stops when it comes to NIL-related items, and I think we could do two podcasts a day and probably not cover anywhere close to all of the stuff that needs to be covered. But uh, a lot of big news, um, great takedown by Amanda Kristovich in, in front office sports or from front office sports on Twitter today on that Ethan Strauss article on the Cavenders. We're probably not getting to that today, but maybe a little bit later on in the week. But uh, the big news is the draft of this NIL bill that we talked a little bit about last week when we were talking about uh, Congress fielding commentary and concerns from collegiate leaders and the NCAA president. Uh, so we have some ideas now of, of what this bill is going to look like. Uh, Senators Tommy Tuberville and Joe Manchin putting this forward and, uh, you know, Olivia, we, a lot of the things that we've talked about on this show over the course of time the, the month or so we've been doing the show, have really been trying to educate people out there on some of the things that you have to think about with NIL and right of publicity and how it all fits together and how it fits in relation to the law. It appears that we need to perhaps get the podcast on Capitol Hill because there are some lawmakers who I, I don't think quite understand how all of this setup works. And aren't going to just be able to wave the, a wand and change things just because they want it to be a different way. Let's kind of go through this to start with and talk about some of the issues that we're looking at. Um, where would you like to begin? Because, gosh, there's a lot of different places that we could start with this thing. Right, there are. I, I think maybe well, we can start at the beginning. Um, but really, I think going through some of the interesting specifics that they would now like to place upon student athletes um, in relation to NIL would be a good place to start. Okay. Yeah. So um, one of the things that immediately leapt off the page was uh, for, I, well, I, and we're going to cover different spots here. First of all, the idea that athletes are only going to be allowed to enter into an NIL agreement after their first semester at an institution is over. And I'm assuming that the idea here is that this in their minds is going to cut off any issues with using NIL as inducements to be part of the recruiting process, which first of all, doesn't make a lot of sense logically, because if you like, hey, we'll we'll pay you double that, you know, in that second semester after that first semester is over, like the inducement can still be there. The idea that it wouldn't be an inducement because you're not getting paid immediately uh, is silly. But there's also some very questionable legal aspects to that particular type of restraint, given that no such restraint exists for anybody else, just college athletes in that instance. That's right. There, There is no restriction in any right of publicity law anywhere in this country that states that you have to do something or be something for a specific amount of time before you are able 
to profit from your name, your image, or your likeness. And I think that is a really important fact to bring forward in this situation because, again, what are we trying to do? We are trying to stop college athletes from profiting on their name, image, and likeness. And by putting an arbitrary number in place being one semester, which, by the way, would um, affect fall athletes more than spring athletes, which to me, that made no sense whatsoever. Um, you know, we're, we're putting limitations on their ability to profit off their name, image, and likeness. And, and again, it just goes back to point zero being that nobody else in this country has those types of restrictions. Why college athletes? Yeah, and, and we've we've talked about that issue quite a bit, and we'll talk more in depth about it after we run through all of this. I mean, this this whole setup is uh, being put forward by Tuberville and Mansion in response, essentially. You know, they, they've been working on this for a while. I mean, Tuberville commented last August that he was working on an NIL bill that would solve all of these and was going to work with Mansion on this. Um, you know, but essentially. What the draft spells out is this idea that through all of these lobbying efforts that we've seen, uh, they want to try to, I guess, put the genie back in the bottle in their eyes in terms of how NIL exists within the marketplace. And so part of it is, okay, rather than a high schooler being able to sign an NIL deal and then that ends up delivering them to a college or university, the idea is, oh, well, we'll just ban that. You have to be in college before you can start signing the deals uh, and that'll somehow – solve that problem. Also in this bill, and I'm going to read through a couple of these and we can kind of touch on which ones we want to really focus on. There are restrictions on uh, on what you can sign for NIL and there's also reporting requirements. So according to this bill, within 30 days of entering into an NIL deal, an athlete has to disclose the contract with their school, including compensation amounts and other contract particulars. Um all agents and NIL collectives have to register with the NCAA, and then they also have to disclose all NIL deals. Athletes um, can only enter into an NIL contract if it's A, in writing and signed by each party, if there's a full scope and timeline of work outlined, uh, if there's a compensation statement and a duration, and then if there's if it conforms with an NCAA-developed standard contract template. Uh, you know, well-known, the NCAA, very great at contract templates when it comes to to work obligations and, and, uh, and NIL deals. That's exactly what we would look to them for. You also are, according to this bill, prohibited from entering into – NIL deals or schools can at least limit you from entering into deals with anything involving alcohol, casino products, tobacco, pharmaceuticals, drug paraphernalia, weapons, controlled substances, um, adult entertainment. And then um, as you roll down here, there's some other interesting things. Um, athletes cannot wear any item of clothing as part of an NIL deal while wearing school athletic gear, which – lays bare a lot of what is actually going on with this particular bill, but we'll come back to that in a second. Some other items, the bill calls for the creation of a trust that would be used to cover out-of-pocket medical expenses and then also cover costs for immediate family. And it would be funded by the NCAA or the CFP and would require like 1% of annual proceeds. And I guess this is to defray the idea of Oh, an athlete's family can't travel or they're not getting their medical bills paid for. Um, 
collectives are not allowed to um, participate in any what are considered recruiting inducements. Some people may not have a problem with that, but it's it's kind of unenforceable. And then ultimately, the NCAA, of course, is put in charge of being the arbiter of all of these items, uh, and I'm assuming can essentially kind of make up their own uh, rules and uh, would essentially be able to in both investigate and enforce this law, which is wild that you would be having you know, U.S. Congress essentially delegating enforcement power to an organization that is not a legal entity, is not part of the federal government or any state government. Um, there's other things that we can talk about with this, um, but those are kind of the the main highlights of things. So what else is worth mentioning from your perspective as, as someone who understands this area very well? Right. So I think the other, you know, we've talked a lot about federalism, right? We had our fun little federalism talk. But one of the other areas that are typically state-related issues are contracts, right? So you've basically got all of these separate entities who are going to be um, organized and existing within certain states. And now you're trying to have a federal contract law, right? So, you know, in addition to basically creating a separate collegiate athlete related right of publicity federal you know law you're also doing that for contracts as well um, and not only that but just from the legal perspective I would have a really difficult time advising you know a client um, again this is not legal advice but I, I would have a difficult time advising saying yes you need to disclose all of the confidential parts of your contract because there basically are no confidential contracts then you can't enter into specific deals um, and have the terms of those deals protected you basically have have given up your right to have a private agreement as an athlete and I find that to be really really troubling um, and that also you would be subject to an arbitration clause, it sounds like, which, you know, arbitration can be really, really great in certain situations. But if you're legally obligated to go through arbitration, you might be missing out on the ability to actually, you know, sue for significant damages or to challenge certain aspects. And, you know, really, I think the the term that comes to mind when I when I read this is just hands tied behind their back. That, that's really what they're looking for. They want to control the narrative. They let it get out of hand. And this is their way to try to rein it back in. And, you know, part of Congress getting involved is, of course, collegiate sports are very popular. And I think that this is just a political move. I really don't think that Congress really cares about making sure that the athletes are protected in any, you know, right. in, in any way, shape or form. Well, and look, I haven't gotten too off uh, off the chain on this, I guess, because I, the chances of any of this actually becoming law. I mean, there, there wasn't even a committee hearing with all of this lobbying effort that the NCAA was doing. I mean, they were just they were meeting with senators and meeting with representatives, but there was no committee. There was no formal hearing. Uh, th- there have been calls for more of that. And of course, the NCAA, uh, you know, they've been asked like, OK, well, where are the athletes? Where are we hearing from them? And of course, the, the NCAA has... Um, 
shown a history of putting forward athletes that just coincidentally happen to agree with every single aspect of their stance or position. So I'm not right. holding my breath. But even even with that being the case, again, the chances of any of this actually coming to pass as law very, very remote. So I wouldn't get too overwrought, but I think it's very informative to look at this proposed legislation and you really get a sense of what the attitudes are on the side of college athletics and athletic directors and presidents in the NCAA related to name, image, and likeness. And this idea that, you know, essentially there wasn't a legal justification for restraint of trade or restraint of publicity rights for athletes. And that's why the NCAA allowed these things to happen in the first place. And then they tried to essentially soft shell a set of restrictions around it by saying, well, you can't do this and you can't do this, when in reality, there's no way to actually enforce that without what the congressional bill is trying to do, which is give the NCAA enforcement power. That's not going to fly because, as you have pointed out with several of these areas, whether it's contract law, whether it's the lack of a a right of publicity law nationwide, what the NCAA wants is essentially federal oversight over something that is not federal. And, uh, you know, people – you can ask yourself, well, no, wait a minute. The NFL gets to set its own rules. Major League Baseball gets to set its own rules. And the reason for that is that the NFL is a commercial Entity. It is a nationwide commercial entity that both its players and its owners and all of the people that work in it, they have agreed, in the case of the players and the owners, they've agreed to collective bargaining, which is a federally overseen process where it's like, okay, we're, you know, we're going to share in profits, we're going to collectively bargain with each other, we're going to come up with a set of rules. What this clearly to me looks like is the NCAA wants all of the benefits of being a federal entity, but wants to maintain its ability to control literally the entire aspect of it to unilaterally set down guidelines, despite the fact that it can't agree to its own rules and regulations internally and doesn't have any federal enforcement power, doesn't even have state enforcement power, is essentially just relying on the participants, in this case, the schools, to go along with things and has no jurisdiction with the athletes other than ineligibility and no jurisdiction with the the uh, the collectives. It's a really – it's fascinating because I've, I'm watching a lot of people looking at this and being like, well, those seem like reasonable requests by the NCAA. It's like the NCAA isn't set up to work like this, so they're not reasonable at all. It would be reasonable if it was a professional entity. This is a, a trade organization of, organi- of, of, of athletic departments and schools – that essentially have refused to acknowledge that they are in a professional environment, but want to keep acting like it's an amateur environment. Right. And that's the key is, as I do keep seeing commentary on, you know, to protect the amateurism. Sure. Yeah. But it's gone. It's there gone. is no more amateurism. It's, <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. And I think people just need to embrace the fact that it's gone. And to me, this feels like clinging on to control and trying to continue to control the narrative. Um, you know, and honestly, if, if there were regulations that were going to be put into place, we are two years too late to rein this back in. Um, well, and again, it keeps it keeps coming. It's two things now, really. I mean, A, the NCAA could, and we talked about this on the last episode, they could get together, come up with a uniform set of guidelines that they're going to use as organizations. Now, the problem that they would have is their rules and regulations don't really matter 
if they're not going to treat athletes as employees because there is no requirement at that point legally for an athlete to participate in that structure if they don't have any rights. And and that's essentially what the entire thrust of college athletics leadership is athletes don't have rights. Athletes are students. We're the ones that have all of the 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 decision-making authority. We decide how this actually works. And essentially, the courts have intimated very strongly, no, that's not accurate. The NCAA keeps trying to find out other ways to avoid that reality. But the other thing, and this is the, the other piece that kind of fits into it, and we've talked about it a lot on the show, and I'm sure people are a little tired of hearing about it, but it's all these state laws. Like there was something you mentioned. So, you, so Texas just passed a law for NIL. And one of the things it does is it essentially puts a a, a cloak over the, the terms of these NIL deals so that they cannot be looked at by journalists or others. That's got a lot of journalists upset because there's some First Amendment issues in their eyes that are being violated by that. Um, but it it strikes at the fundamental heart of the issue here, which is that you're, you know, these the state laws are, as you've said time and time again, they are the ones that take precedence in this particular area. It would be different if athletes were being paid directly by schools. That would be, could potentially be a different story but in this case, because you're talking about state contract law, rights of publicity, which are not federally arbitrated, and a collective circumstance where a lot of these collectives are in, entirely independent from the schools that they're connected to affinity-wise, there really isn't jurisdiction here. And this idea that the NCAA can just maintain jurisdiction over it, it just feels like it gets further and further away with every one of these laws that gets passed. Right. And and look, I think that everyone has the same thought, which is, well, you know, we don't want athletes um, to be put in positions that are, are super difficult for them. Um, you know, th- there is a little bit of athlete protectionism in the bill. And, and I don't find that 100 percent, you know, this is just a power grab. It's mostly a power grab. But I do think that we've seen a few instances where maybe athletes have gotten burned by NIL deals. But, you know, I kind of go back to the thought that that's business and that is where we're, we're dealing with. We're dealing with athletes who their athletic prowess, that is their business, right? Their right of publicity, that is their business. And there's going to be times where they're going to get burned by deals um, or something's not going to quite work out. And and I think that's just the cost right now of doing business in, you know, college athletics. But yes, it is um, continue. We, we continue to see these these different you know bills kind of rolling in states, passing their own laws, hurriedly trying to pass, you know, pass yeah. these laws. And um, I, I've mentioned this before, but we still don't even have a federal privacy law. Yeah. Um, and. I, I think that until we have that in place, it's really unlikely that we're going to see a federal right of publicity uh, yeah. law in place. It's really, you know, 100 percent. And and look, I mean, here's the one thing I will say, like and, and I've talked about this a lot, like this idea of protectionism when it comes to college athletes, like we got to protect athletes from this or protect athletes from that. And it is just there are great people in, in that work in college athletics Uh, This is not an aspersion on all people that work in college athletics. But at the end of the day, and I think that this legislation, the way that this has gone, uh, the way that that the entire NIL situation has been dealt with, people 
who work in college athletics, their job, first and foremost, is to watch out for the bottom line of the athletic department or the conference that they're working for, not to watch out for the financial well-being of athletes. The, you know, it, you can't on the one hand say, oh, we have to protect athletes from getting into bad business deals. And then in the same breath, in the same action, say athletic departments are forbidden to provide legal advice or accounting support or any sort of business support to athletes as they are navigating these NIL deals. The entire system was set up for the athletes to be entirely on their own. And so it's hard for me to take this, uh, you know, this, 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 this kind of like, you know, maternal, we're going to take care of the athletes and protect them from bad people thing. It's, it's the same arguments from 30 years ago where, you know, it was like, oh, agents are evil. All sports agents are evil. And we're protecting our, our, our uh, precious college athletes from the evils of, of professionalism, and it's like you have engaged in that professionalism as an institution or as an, as a as an industry for twenty five plus years now. It's increasingly hard to take you at face value when that's the argument that you're making. Right, and I think that there are some schools that we're we're actually seeing um, the law schools at those schools provide clinics yeah. to the athletes to give them you know more information on what name, image, and likeness really needs. And I think that it's education that. Every athlete, parent, everybody needs to have before they, you know, go into um, they don't want to go into this blind. This basically no. what, and, what I think. And that's the thing. And, and I guess, you know, I certainly share in that concern. But I got to say, at this point, if you're a parent of an athlete that's got the ability to make money via NIL, the last place that I would be looking for advice at this point is from the NCAA or its member institutions. So anyway, uh, we, we're over time now, so we're going to stop. We'll come back uh, later on in the week, hopefully tomorrow or Friday. We're going to talk about this Cavender Twins article that popped up, and we're going to talk a little bit also about some of the new deals that we're seeing pop up. There's some interesting things coming down the pike that continue to slightly change the way we think about NIL and how it all fits together and what it's going to mean, especially going into this upcoming year. So, uh, Olivia, as always, a pleasure. Good to see you again, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your flag day, you and your cats who are partying behind you here. Yeah, my cats have finally made a podcast appearance. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, one made an appearance last time, and I was like, I'm not going to say anything, but that thing just crawled behind you. Anyway, for Olivia, I'm Galen. This is the NIL Hotline. We'll catch you folks on the flip side. So long, everybody. <laughs>